Guide us, God, by your word and by your spirit, that in your light we see light, and your truth find freedom. We're in that time in our service where we um, read the word of God. Guide us, God, by your word and by your spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Scripture reading today uh, is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 18, verses 28 through 38. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Then the Jewish leaders led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring to this man, against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests had delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? This is the word of the Lord. As I, I begin this morning, I want to draw your attention to this remarkable painting that's on the cover of our, our bulletin uh, this morning. It's a, a beautiful picture to reflect on as we enter this season of Lent. And Ellen Monti uh, chose this painting on, on behalf of the art team. And uh, something I heard her say about it really helped me to see some of the depth uh, that, that is here. This is uh, from 1860 by the German painter Karl Spitzweg, uh, and it's entitled Ash Wednesday. And what Ellen pointed out to me was a few, a few things. Most of all, the clown. Uh, you might not notice uh, the clothing of the man who's sitting there, but once you, you realize it, he's, he's clearly uh, a clown. And then there's the, the vertical orientation with the light streaming down uh, from the window above. Uh, with the doorway in front of him, 
and the water pitcher beside him. We're talking about uh, the theme of truth today, and this painting is a beautiful picture of gospel truth. In the light of the truth, in the, in the light of God's truth, uh, there is no denying who we are, our condition, and our need for grace. The truth exposes us like the light that comes down from above onto this clown. But the gospel also declares that through the waters of baptism, uh, there is an open doorway in front of us, a doorway that leads to freedom and life. Today is the first Sunday of Lent, so this is a good place for us to begin as we start uh, part two of our series on investigating Jesus. So far this year, we've been focusing on investigating the person of Jesus, especially through his relationships with other people. And what we've especially noticed is that as Jesus interacted with a diverse group of people, one thing especially stands out. Jesus was a, a combination of two different qualities of character. On the one hand, he exercised an unusual authority in his claims and in his actions. And on the other hand, he demonstrated an extraordinary mercy and kindness. And he shows both these qualities at the same time, often to the same person. And what we've said is that it's this combination that is so unusual. If Jesus only challenged us with authority, we wouldn't want to go to him. He would be too intimidating. But if he only ever showed comfort and never challenged, uh, he would be superficial. But in Jesus, we find both qualities perfectly combined. And, and this leads us directly to Jesus' teaching, which is what we're going to focus on throughout uh, Lent. It's because of who Jesus is that he deserves our attention in his teaching. And when we listen to Jesus, uh, we should expect to be challenged. This is important. If your teacher never challenged you, what kind of teacher would they be? Good teachers don't just affirm their students, but they challenge them to grow in their knowledge, in their understanding, in their application of the truth. So how does Jesus do this for us today? And, and let's consider this passage from John 18. Let me, let me say, begin by saying a few words about the context here. After Jesus is betrayed by Judas and, and arrested, he's brought first to the Jewish priests who were the religious authorities in, in Jerusalem. The, the Romans gave the Jewish people a lot of leeway to organize their own religious affairs. And so these priests, like Caiaphas, the high priest, have a degree of authority and independence. And uh, they convict Jesus of, of blasphemy for identifying himself, a human being, uh, with God. But then the Jewish leaders have to take Jesus to the Roman governor, Pilate, to impose a sentence on him. And so Jesus is tried twice, once by his own Jewish people and then by the Gentiles. In other words, the whole human race is represented here and passes judgment in one way or another 
on Jesus. One commentator, Richard Norris, says, it is entirely fitting that the story of Jesus' suffering and death is pictured for us by the Gospels as an extended trial scene. A courtroom is at once an arena of conflict in which divergent claims and causes struggle to assert their right, and it is a place of judgment where a verdict is rendered which is intended to intended to declare the truth of the matter in contest. So this is a trial scene for both the Gentiles and the Jewish people. But as Norris goes on to explain, this is a very ironic trial scene because there is more than one courtroom, not just the the two human courts of Caiaphas and, and Pilate, but if Jesus is who he claims to be, then they all are also standing in God's courtroom. Norris says, the case being tried involves a question of ultimate truth, the question of who God is and where he stands. Jesus has repeatedly acted and spoken as if God is at work in his ministry And now the question has to be decided. These two levels, these these two courts, the human and the divine, run throughout the scene. On the human level, in verses 28 to 31, we see the Jewish leaders and Pilate negotiating their political power. The, The Jewish leaders want to get rid of Jesus because of his outlandish claims and his growing popularity. And Pilate, for his part, as the Roman governor, wants to do whatever it takes to keep the peace with the local leaders at the same time without doing them any favors. But he does have the power to execute a rebel who claims to be a king. The Romans had only one king, Caesar. And so this is why he begins his interview at this point. Are you the king of the Jews? Notice that Jesus answers Pilate's question with a question. Jesus wants to know, is Pilate asking for himself? Or is he just repeating an opinion that others have offered to him? Right away, we see something of what the truth means for Jesus here. He's not interested in abstractions or opinions or a debate with Pilate. What matters is what Pilate will do with the information that he's gathering. This is amazing. Jesus doesn't explain himself or defend himself but immediately he's having a personal conversation with the Roman governor about his own response to Jesus. Do you say this of your own accord? Does this matter to you? Or is this just a conversation about what other people think? 
For Jesus, the truth is personal. Not in the sense that you, know, you have your truth and, and I have my truth, but in the sense that it matters for him, for each one of us, what we do with the truth that we have and how we respond to it. We live in a time today, uh, perhaps more than any other in recent history, in which we are aware of the importance of the truth and of all the ways in which truth can be manipulated and distorted. We hear constantly about the dangers of conspiracy theories, disinformation, misinformation, this is a time in which, if you're a professor, you have to worry about whether a student used an AI chat to write their essay for you. Uh, even artists are not immune to the challenges. Uh, last August, uh, a game designer won first place in the Colorado State Fair Fine Arts Competition in the Digital Arts and Photography section. And it was later reveal, revealed that he used an artificial intelligence system uh, to create the image uh, that he submitted using only a written prompt. He wasn't actually involved in the creation of the image at all. So what is true? What is the way to the truth? Now here, Jesus and the Christian faith have something important to offer anyone who may be asking this question today. In verse 37, Jesus tells Pilate that his purpose in life is to bear witness to the truth. Uh, the way in which Jesus bears witness has much to teach us about how to seek the truth and how to be a witness to it. Let's consider what we learned from Jesus in this scene with, with Pilate. As Jesus stands before Pilate, He's both extraordinarily courageous and unusually humble. None of us are likely to face the kind of pressure that Jesus faced. Uh, he was rejected by his own people's top leaders. He's been falsely accused. He was arrested. He faced a sham trial. And he was interrogated by the local leader of a military dictatorship. Not only that, but he faces it all alone, having been abandoned even by his own followers. I don't think any of us can ever imagine the kind of courage that it would require to remain committed to speaking the truth in a context like this. At the same time, notice how Jesus responds. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't attack his opponents. He speaks the truth, but he's not at all self-righteous or smug. He's self-effacing and, and humble in all his interactions. It's this combination of, of boldness and courage, uh, humility and weakness that's so important. The same point was made last week in the conversation that we hosted after this service between our Geneva Forum speaker, Kyle Harper, and, and Professor Hardin. 
uh, we were talking about what it means to be a person of faith in, in secular spaces. And Jeff made the point that if you're going to maintain your identity as a Christian in a secular environment like the university, you must be a person like this, a person of both courage and humility. This is true for the university, but it's, it's true for anyone who wants to live as a person of, of integrity and, and truth-telling in a context where you might be in the minority. You can't just have courage or humility on their own. They go together. If you are courageous but not humble, then you'll easily be prideful. Uh, you will have lots of boldness to offer your opinion or to take a risk on some new idea. But if you can't listen to other people and be open to the possibility that you might be wrong, if you're not humble, then it will be easy for you to miss the truth and, and deceive yourself. Or you'll look down on people who don't agree with you because they don't have your insight. On the other hand, if you're humble, but you don't have much courage, then you can easily become a people pleaser. Humility without courage can lead to a fear of saying the wrong thing uh, or taking an unpopular position. So you might be able to listen, but you won't be able to speak up when it's needed. So where can we find a source for this unique combination of humility Encourage, And this is what we see in the person of Jesus. In our text today, Jesus claims to bring a truth, an ultimate truth, that has its source outside of our world. If such a truth was possible, then you would have a place to stand in order to evaluate all other claims to the truth. Many people... Uh, resist such a claim because they've seen how claims to absolute truth have been abused or used as ways to control others to impose their viewpoints on other people. And this can, this can certainly be a problem. Christians can do it as much as anyone else. But let me offer a quote that I put on the Reflections page today from the theologian Leslie Newbegin that I think can help us think about this. Newbegin says, the Christian gospel has sometimes been made the tool of an imperialism, which means imposing your truth on other people. And of that, we have to repent. But at its heart, it, the gospel, is the denial of all imperialisms. For at its center, there is the cross, where all imperialisms are humbled and we are invited to find the center of human unity in the one who was made nothing so that all might be one. The very heart of the biblical vision for the unity of humankind is that its center is not an imperial power, but the slain lamb. What is he saying? He's saying that if you believe that the ultimate truth is that God became a human being who died on a cross for the sins of the world, then you have an extraordinary source for a truth that leads to this Christ-like humility and courage in your witness. 
If you believe that Jesus had to die for your sins, then that will humble you more than anything else. But if you also believe that he was willing to die for your sins, then that will give you courage. And this is, this is the, the uniqueness of Christian truth and why I think Pilate could not grasp what Jesus was talking about. If you only see the truth as something to be fought over on a human level, then Pilate's cynicism is understandable. Truth is only the exercise of power. But for Christians, the truth is revealed in the person and in the work of Jesus himself. Jesus says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. The teaching of Jesus has the power to humble us and to build us up. Pilate didn't get what Jesus was saying, but, but not because it was hard to understand. Rather, he didn't understand it because his whole attitude and his approach towards Jesus was one of suspicion and disbelief. In our culture today, this is often the attitude that we're encouraged to cultivate. In a secular age, we're taught that the only way to real knowledge is through doubt and through suspicion. Doubt may have its place. It, it enables us to ask the right questions and to sift and winnow for the truth, as the UW likes to say. But an attitude of faith is what gives you a starting point and a place to stand. This is not true just in religion, but in any area of learning. I like to use the example of being a student. If you want to be a great chemist, when you take Chemistry 101, you must start by believing that your professor is telling you the truth about the periodic table. If you only doubt your teacher, even on the basics, then you'll never even get started. But if you trust your teacher and learn the periodic table, you can go on to real knowledge about chemistry and maybe later ask the right questions that will advance the field. In the church, too, we're offered a path of faith-seeking understanding. This doesn't mean you shouldn't question your faith, but if you only ever question, you'll never arrive anywhere. Pilate and the Jewish leaders, as they approach Jesus, share the same basic human problem. Their starting point is not one of faith, but of unbelief in the face of the truth that Jesus speaks. In contrast, Jesus invites everyone he encounters to begin by trusting him and listening to him. Let me close by making this personal again. As we begin our and journey together, each one of us is invited to step into the light of God's truth. This means seeing ourselves as we really are, perhaps uncomfortably so, like the clown sitting in the shaft of light in Spitzweg's painting. But if it's God's light, then it also means that the invitation is to find renewal in the gospel of God's love that open doorway is also there in front of us. 
Jesus challenges, but he also comforts. Let me end with uh, an illustration of what this looks like. At the end of Dostoevsky's great novel, Crime and Punishment, uh, there's this amazing scene that captures something of the power of the truth uh, to bring us to repentance and new life. If you don't know, Crime and Punishment is about a student uh, named Raskolnikov who's a nihilist, a nihilist student who has convinced himself that he is above the rules that apply to normal human beings. He can determine the truth for himself. And so uh, he kills an old woman and her sister to rob them for some great cause. And the rest of the book is about the surprising guilt of this act as it weighs on him and, and begins to destroy him. The reality of that guilt tears away at him. He stands in a courtroom that he can't see. He doesn't know what to do until he goes to a prostitute with whom he has fallen in love, who's a Christian, and he admits to her what he has done. He then asks her what he should do. She tells him that the only way to life is through a humbling public confession of the truth and repentance. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. He must tell the truth about himself, the true truth. Here's how Dostoevsky describes the scene. Well, what am I to do now, he asked suddenly, raising his head and looking at her with a face hideously distorted by despair. What are you to do, she cried, jumping up. And her eyes that had been full of tears suddenly began to shine. Stand up. She seized him by the shoulder. He got up, looking at her, almost bewildered. Go at once, this very minute. Stand at the crossroads, bow down. First, kiss the earth which you have defiled, and then bow down to all the world and say to all men aloud, I am a murderer. Then God will send you life again. Will you go? Will you go? She asked him. He does go, and he does it. And though it's difficult, he finds life again. He shows the way forward for all those who are ready to admit their need for grace. In Jesus, friends, God shows that he is always ready to receive us into his embrace when we speak the truth about ourselves and about him. The only question is, will you go? Will you go to him with your need, with your doubt, with your sin, with your self-righteousness, with your pride? Because when you do, he always stands ready to forgive. Do you believe this? Let's believe it together. Let's pray. Father God, we pray that you would lead us into the light of your truth, Make us people who seek the truth, who are willing to confess the, the truth, most of all about ourselves and our need for your grace. We thank you uh, that in Christ we find your truth, uh, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we rest in him today as our Savior and Lord. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.